0: up
1: guys thank you for sticking through that commercial break as promised a new episode of fed watch ck
2: ansel take it away boys
0: oh yeah everybody welcome back to another episode of fed watch it is a macro show for bitcoiners with a contrarian twist we have made some contrarian calls on the show and they have worked out better than uh, we could have ever dreamed but we are live recording on bitcoin magazine's live stream so for all those people that join in later on the audio version Mark your calendars for 3 p.m. on Tuesdays. We will be um, live streaming at that time every week, so come join us. Today, we're going to be watching some press conference uh, highlights from Powell and Lagarde. So they both talked in the last two weeks. Uh, We haven't really covered that on the show here yet, so thought we'd go over that today. But before we do, Christian, welcome back. How are you doing? How are you handling the Bitcoin winter?
3: Oh man, what what winter! I'm uh, I'm just excited <laughs> to be able to increase my sat denominated stack. It's only going up, so um, pretty pretty hyped about the prices, and I'm pretty hyped to be in uh, BTC Studios here, um, officially in Nashville now. Uh, so a lot of fun uh, to be had here in Nashville, and I'm excited to make this room look a lot cooler uh, and 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 bring a lot of energy out of out of Nashville into San Francisco. But, Uh, Without further ado, you know, let's get back into macro. Um, A lot has happened. I mean, uh, Ansel, we can talk about, uh, you know, Fed raising rates despite what seems to be, you know, an economic collapse upon us, Uh, the economy potentially moving into a recession. Uh, You know, this to many is thought that the Fed would be behaving in this way. Um, But so um, I guess back to you, Ansel. What do you think? And uh, maybe we should jump into uh, into some of these videos.
0: Yeah, uh, tons happening with the Fed. We had um, Tone Vase on last week. Great show. So if you guys haven't seen that, go back and check that out. Um, we didn't get into the Fed very much at all. We talked a lot about Bitcoin, a lot about the Bitcoin cycles and that kind of stuff. So um, this week, we're kind of catching up on some of these things that we have let slip a little bit, but we do have... Powell speech i took three clips and i don't think christian you had a chance to uh watch these clips yet so it's going to be a cold reaction from you which should be great and um yeah then we go on to lagarde same sort of thing she uh kind of came out and you know talked about their upcoming policy decision so we have three clips from her and i we do this because we like to get the the word straight from the horse's mouth we like to get the um you know, make our own decisions, watch what they say, you know, get a feeling for how they are in front of the camera. If they're lying to us, you know, we can kind of get the spidey sense where we don't believe something or we think they're being uh, dishonest about certain parts or honest about other parts and people should expose themselves directly to the source. That way they can make up their own minds. But um, that's all I have for the lead in. Should we go right into Powell's first clip?
3: Yeah, let's, let's definitely do it. And I guess Do you want to give any context uh, before uh, Chris puts it on?
0: Um, I mean, this is their press conference after they come out with their decision. So the way it works, um, when the Fed makes a policy decision, they will release it on their website. I think it's like 2.30 p.m. And then about a half hour later, Powell comes out and talks uh, to the media. He has a prepared statement, and then he takes questions. So um, that's what we're going to be watching clips from.
2: Let's get into it. Overall economic activity edged down <clears throat> in the first quarter as unusually sharp swings in inventories and net exports more than offset continued strong underlying demand. Recent indicators suggest that real GDP growth has picked up this quarter, with consumption spending remaining strong. In contrast, <clears throat> growth in <clears throat> business fixed in- in- investment appears to be slowing, and activity in the housing sector looks to be softening in part reflecting higher mortgage rates. The tightening in financial conditions that we've seen in recent months should continue to temper growth and help bring demand into better balance with supply. As shown in our Summary of Economic Projections, FOMC participants have marked down their projections for economic activity, with the median projection for real GDP growth running below 2 percent through 2024. The labor market has remained extremely tight, with the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, job vacancies at historical highs, and wage growth elevated. Over the past three months, employment rose by an average of 408,000 jobs per month, down from the average pace seen earlier in the year, but still robust. Improvements in labor market conditions have been widespread, including for workers at the lower end of the wage distribution, as well as for African-Americans and Hispanics. Labor demand is very strong, while labor supply remains subdued, with the labor force participation rate little changed since January. FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance, easing the upward pressures on wages and prices.
0: All right, Christian, you want to go first? Um, What was your cold reaction to that? Any uh, insights?
3: I mean, I feel like I have less insights uh, than than you all, but generally speaking, you know, he kind of stated, you know, a little bit of the obvious, which is we're increasing rates, and therefore, you know, we're seeing some of the like, off, you know, the housing market is becoming, you know, is, is cooling down a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see uh, changes in consumer behavior uh, due to the increased uh, increase increase in rates, but uh, on the flip side it just, he, he, I I didn't get a whole lot of it, I guess. Uh, you know, even when he was talking about what's happening in the labor market and how that's not really changed. Uh, I did see some articles talking about how all of a sudden because the wealth effect is gone, people are showing up for their minimum wage job again. Um, you know, we'll see if that actually plays out, but what he's saying is that nothing has really changed and maybe it's just, it's too early to tell, um, if that dynamic has changed, but, um, ultimately, when I look at jobs, and what, you know, how, how people are choosing to spend their time, you know, my, my base case is that that is really distorted because of the economic hurricane that we find ourselves in. Nothing really makes sense. It's difficult to allocate capital. And therefore, it's difficult to allocate your time and spend your time doing something that, uh, you know, creates value, but is fulfilling as well. So that that's like, One of the underlying issues with what is happening with a fiat based world. Um, So, not to go on a tangent, but uh, yeah, I didn't get, I I guess I'm very curious with what you think, Ansel, and I'm sure that you have a lot more insights to
2: pull out of that.
0: Well, I love that you brought back in the economic hurricane because we did hear that recently from. Uh, Jamie Dimon at, at JP Morgan. And I, I tweeted, I said, yeah, we've been talking about that for over a year. But uh, so yeah, the, on this particular there's video clip, evidence. <laughs> yeah. There's video evidence on this particular clip. Um, what I pulled out was he talked about some levels of economic growth and economic performance, but he didn't clarify whether these are nominal levels versus real levels because with us you know cpi going up at eight percent we could see real levels of economic activity falling by seven percent and they would still look slightly positive right so i think there's a little bit of wordplay happening here a little bit of uh you know sidestepping making up making some uh hard calls uh, on powell's part and that's different for us because we usually think that powell is relatively a straight shooter. We've said that in the past here on the mm-hmm. show. So, um, I think I it guess it's this easy is... to be
3: a straight shooter when, uh, when rates are going down, not the other way around.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's had, he's having to make some, uh, semantic choices here because again, we're not, they aren't in control of these things and he's trying to massage the, the message. So, um, it's, it's, it's yeah, that's a,
3: that's a really good observation. This yeah. is why I love listening to you talk about, um, Listening to you talk about, you know, what what's happening with the Fed, because I feel like you understand the, the dynamics of the the person, you know, delivering the news or making the decisions a lot better, um, and and you can pick that out.
0: Yeah, and he also said something we picked out previously was when you know they um, they can't affect supply; they can only affect demand. And he says in here, in this little clip that we just watched, is that tightening uh, financial conditions should continue to temper growth. So obviously to me, that means that they're trying to induce a recession. And uh, But later he's asked that direct question, which we will listen to here in a couple uh, clips from now. But um, yeah, so they are trying to reduce, induce recession, tamp down on demand so that prices come down. Um, He also said here that, the labor force participation rate, or he talked about that. He mentioned that, and that was the only time in the entire one hour press conference that he mentioned the labor force participation rate, even though employment is one of their, uh, you know, is half of their mandate maximum employment. And he only talked about labor force participation once. So I thought that was really interesting. But um, one thing that we didn't include in the clip because, you know, we're limited on what we can show here is he did acknowledge also that oil prices uh, are responsible for a high percentage of the CPI uh, price increases. So I thought that was very interesting. Of course, he doesn't uh, hammer that home or explain that anymore and nobody asked the question. So he just, he says oil prices are, you know, responsible for a lot of this, but then he just moves on. So that's all I have for this clip. Should we move on to the next one then?
3: Yeah, no, I think, I think so.
2: Against the backdrop of the rapidly evolving economic environment, our policy has been adapting, and it will continue to do so. At today's meeting, the Committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by three-quarters of a percentage point, resulting in a -a one-and-a-half percentage point increase in the target range so far this year. The Committee reiterated that it anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet, which plays an important role in firming the stance of monetary policy. Coming out of our last meeting in May, there was a broad sense on the Committee that a a half-percentage-point increase in the target range should be considered at this meeting if economic and financial conditions evolved in line with expectations. We also stated that we were highly attentive to inflation risks and that we would be nimble in responding to incoming data and the evolving outlook. Since then, inflation has again surprised to the upside. Some indicators of inflation expectations have risen, and projections for inflation this year have been revised up notably. In response to these developments, the Committee decided that a larger increase in the target range was warranted at today's meeting. (coughs) This, continues our approach of expeditiously moving our policy rate up to more normal levels, and it will help ensure that longer-term inflation expectations remain well anchored at 2 percent. As shown in the SEP, the median projection for the appropriate level of the federal funds rate is 3.4 percent at the end of this year.
0: All right, so Christian, do you want to go first again? Um, This one, he was talking about uh, adaptive monetary policy and kind of long-term projections and where he sees the rate going in the future.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's at least trying to set the expectations that rates are going to continue to go up. And really the impression that I got from him is he is like, I am the doctor and the economy needs to take its medicine. Um, (laughs) So that's the impression I got from him. And he was like, Hey, it's tough, but here's the medicine that we need to take.
0: Yeah, what a couple words he used there. Adaptive. He used that a lot. He d- used nimble, and one of the things from this rate hike was, you know, it was projected at five. Uh, f- sorry, fifty basis points, and then only about forty-eight hours before the announcement, things started changing rapidly towards seventy-five basis points, and then they came out with seventy-five basis points. So um, they were adaptive and nimble to the situation. They they did actually pivot but they pivoted a little bit more hawkish instead of a little bit more dovish right and so I think what they're trying to do or what he's trying to do here is build in um, an expectation of future pivots I mean they are adaptive and nimble he kept saying that over and over so what what do you think about that
3: that the like the myth of the central banker is that they're this adaptive and nimble institution that keeps the economy in balance. Um, you know, I think that Bitcoiners already either don't believe in the myth or they think that their presence is detrimental. Uh, and why, that's why we're bullish on Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is a uncorruptible and uh, a opt-in monetary policy. So you follow, you agree to run the rules and no one can change it. So you have assurances there. Um, we think that that is much more stable way to do things. Um, so that's like the myth, and you know I think that he's trying to expectation manage that reality, like he has been. But uh, I've been kind of harping harping on this idea that the Fed, you know, has has this golden goose, which is that you know it has thus far been able to kind of manage expectations. The way they want to, but what is really happening is the economy is actually doing things in the background, and they are finding ways to appear to kind of flow and stride with that. Uh, but I think that with these recent rate hikes, um, when they stop rate hiking, and things may not respond uh, the way that they want the populace to to respond and. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I think that they potentially could have killed their golden goose. They, they may have by by really pushing us into a recession, they may have uh, put themselves in a situation where they can't save the economy. And then what? once we're in that recession, they can't save it because they actually don't have power. They the the you know, the 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 king, you know, is, is caught without his clothes on. Sorry. No, I said I just think that that's very dangerous for them.
0: I think they, what I was trying to point out was that they are, or Powell is uh, almost like trying to create this MO that they can adapt their monetary policy very nimbly and uh, they can move. Oh, 75. It's okay. 50. It's okay. 25. It's okay. It doesn't really matter if we're going to do this, but we're going to do what's best. And I, I think that's, yeah, that is kind of dangerous because people expect them to know what is, you know, be very confident in what they're doing. So I think that could work against the confidence of the Fed going forward. One thing I wanted to ask as well was, um, this is kind of related because he talked about quantitative tightening there, is um, do inflationists think that quantitative tightening is deflationary? Because we heard for, you know, 12 years that QE was inflationary. Well, is QT deflationary? And what's your what's your take on that um, whole narrative there?
3: I, don't, I think QT and QE economic chaos. And uh, ultimately, the system can't really, adju- uh, you know, it takes a while for the system to kind of adjust to accommodate for them. Uh, and then when they manipulate those things, uh, it just creates more chaos for the economy to try to, to deal with and for individual economic actors to deal with. So uh, whether one does something or another, I think it's impossible to tell what they actually do uh, because it's all kind of going into a blender of craziness. But um, I do know that they create chaos. So the more that they are used and changed and destabilized and, you know, you know, the, the more like the more change that is being done via, you know, intervention, I feel like that creates chaos. So, I don't really have a strong opinion about, you know, what one actually leads to, but I think that they both create chaos and they both make it difficult for individual actors on every level to, to make, you know, make sense of what's happening. And again, that's why I say that's why we Bitcoin.
0: Absolutely. Um, He also talked there about inflation expectations, and I prepared a few charts so not showed here, but I want to mention it before I talk about this uh, break evens is the Fed does a survey of inflation expectations. And that's what he talks about a lot here, Powell, in this in this uh, press conference, in, uh, the Fed's inflation expectations. And um, again, that's a survey and it's showing over 8 percent. All right. Now, it's hard to square that with these charts that I'm about to show here, this five year break even is the difference between the inflation-adjusted five-year treasury and the uninflation-protected treasury. Uh, so this is a market rate directly from the market, and uh, it's showing that it's the expectation on a five-year break-even is, I believe it was 2.8%. And then if you go to the next one, next slide, is the 10-year breakeven, and that's showing 2.4%. So that is ex- the expectation to average inflation over the next five and 10 years by the market is two, basically about 2.5%. The next chart I have is the five-year, five-year forward. And that is the kind of gold standard or the Bitcoin standard of inflation expectations. And that is the second five year period from today. So not zero to four years, but five to 10 years out and what they, what the market is expecting for that period. Um, and so this is not a survey. This is based on a algorithm calculating different interest rates, uh, in, uh, different things like that. And it's showing the same 2.4% roughly. So all of these numbers are lower in my opinion is that this is actually the measure of inflation. This is actually the money printing side of CPI. So the other half, so from 8.6% or whatever we have for CPI compared to this 2.4%, so that's 6.1% of the CPI is from supply chains. The supply chain disruption, um, oil prices, food prices, that kind of thing uh, due to, the war over there and the sanctions in europe so that that is what i take from this and when powell talks about inflation expectations he's looking at cpi expectations and not monetary inflation uh, actual printing of money so that's all i have for these charts uh christian what do yeah you no i would that?
3: love to stay on these charts and just kind of talk about it a little bit like i think this is the basis of our quote-unquote unpopular opinion on this show is that it's very difficult to tell um, what is inflation because everyone is using different definitions of that. So, uh, and then what the CPI captures does in in any index that's trying to quote-unquote capture inflation that's not strictly counting like notes being printed or what you're showing is expectations of inflation in terms of pricing, um, then... You know, what it what it's doing is it's capturing disturbances, maybe in prices, but it's not actually capturing, quote unquote, money printing. It's capturing disturbances. So that could those disturbances could come from anywhere. Right now, there's an enormous amount of disturbances. There's sanctions on key uh, commodity providers. There's war in key commodity and, and food and wheat providing a region in a resource rich region. Uh, There are global supply chain disruptions because of COVID lockdowns and changing uh, and changing, you know, health uh, movement uh, protocol and differentiating health movement protocol across the globe. Like there are a lot of just crazy curveballs being thrown at ordinary people trying to do business. Right. And that affects prices that that affects um, you know, how, how many things can get on ships and get transported and how many things can get built in a factory and how many things can get grown and produced into food, you know, and how efficiently that can happen. All of that is being disrupted right now. And we're not even talking about, you know, the fact that oil is kind of like a base price increase on everything because everything pretty much requires oil directly or indirectly.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of people might question, you know, Oh, why are they being sticklers for this? Why, why do people care where the inflation is coming from the prices are going up but you know that that you need to identify the proper source of this if you want to make rational decisions in the market right so um so by the fed so and other maybe people- we can go ahead
3: no let, maybe we can drop out of the screen but i was going to say i was about to i think say exactly what you were about to say so i just passed
0: yeah so um we need to identify the right thing because we, the Fed will talk us into the next recession. The Fed will uh, you know, mess with our money supply. And if we want control of our money supply, if we want control of our destiny, we need to know the truth, where this, these price increases are coming from. And also, I've said this recently now, uh, and it's, it's not very popular to say, but price increases that aren't due to money printing. So this is like supply shock stuff. The, those are informational. You know, those are good because you can make more um, proper economic calculations if you have good price signals. Um, the problem is money printing because money printing creates a, uh, the inability to know the truth in the economy because all the price signals are messed up. They're not actual, you know, the truth of the capital allocation out there and um, demand and, and all of that stuff. But when you have supply shock, those price increases are informational. They're good. They, you need to know that information so that you can make proper um, you know, economic decisions. So that's all I have for this one. I did have one more chart if we want to do that one. This is a famous chart uh, that we haven't looked at in a while. It's the reverse repo. Uh, so this, yeah, there you go. Uh, the reverse repo it hit a new record high at 2.22 trillion. And my, when I look at this chart, uh, I see the dollar milkshake theory from Brett Johnson. And that is where you know the dollar is going to get stronger because it's going to suck all the liquidity out of the global financial system. And that's what I think is represented by this reverse repo chart is people parking money at the Fed, parking liquidity at the Fed. And it keeps going up and up. Now, what's interesting as well is in this, Uh, press conference or at this uh, FOMC meeting, they raised the reverse repo uh, rate up to 155 basis points. And that puts it far, far above any sort of Japanese bond, uh, German boond, you know, all from the 10 year down, uh, 10 year out, it it puts uh, it above the most of the German long bonds. And so if people are looking for a place to put money, why wouldn't they put it in the reverse repo? Uh, at the Fed. I mean, it's the safest uh, of the safe bet that you can make. Uh, You're lending right there to the Federal Reserve. So I think this is interesting. I expect this to expand, uh, continue to go uh, up. And over the next couple months, we'll probably hear a lot of talk about this. I can see this maybe getting up to $3 trillion uh, within the next couple months. So any reaction to this chart? We haven't looked at it in a while. Christian.
3: I mean, I, I... I, if I said I was like an expert at you know understanding how this fits into the dollar system, I would be lying. That's where I have to really rely on you, Ansel. But I'm I'm curious. Does this compete? Like, is this the current store of value? Like, what you know? How does this kind of like stack up against other kind of opportunities within the the dollar stack? You know, treasury bonds, etc.
0: Well, the reverse repo rate at 155 basis points is very far above the four week rate, so. I looked this morning and the four week treasury bill was 1.09%. So this is almost 50 basis points higher than the four week treasury bill. And that, that brings up a question that Jeff Schneider brings up a lot is how on earth is the four week rate below the overnight rate? That doesn't make any sense. Like why would, wouldn't you just go to the fed in reverse repo, um, you know, and get 1.55 basis points or 1.55% instead of 1.09%. So there's a lot of things that we can take from this. Um, I'll have to do a whole nother show because it, you know, goes in depth and I could probably talk for 20 minutes on just that. And we got some more clips to get to.
3: All right. Yeah. So we have a lot more clips to get to, I guess last words before we get into this next clip.
0: Well, I'll just set up this next clip real quick. So um, it's, past the, you know, he has prepared comment section and then he goes into uh, Q and A. And so this is part of the Q and A during this Q and A, they, people ask him about the, the unemployment rate, because he says that he wants unemployment to go up and people don't like that. That sounds really weird. You want people to lose their jobs. So he's asked a couple times about that. Um, and he's talked about indu- inducing recession in this clip. So let's roll the clip guys.
1: Hi, Chair Powell. Matthew Bosa with Bloomberg. Um, so, as you just mentioned, the committee is now projecting a half percentage point rise in the unemployment rate in the SCPs um, over the next couple years, um, and it removed a line from its policy statement about thinking that the labor market can remain strong uh, while it tightens policy. Um, you just mentioned that that is still your objective, though. So, I'm wondering if you could explain why that line was removed from the statement, also whether. Um, this means that FOMC is trying to induce a recession now to bring inflation down.
2: Not trying to reduce-induce a recession now. Let's be clear about that. We're trying to achieve 2 uh, percent inflation consistent with a strong labor market. That's-that's what we're trying to do. So let me talk about that sentence. Um, e- clearly, it's our goal to bring about 2 percent inflation while keeping the labor market strong, right? And that's-that's and kind of what the SEP says, that the SEP has Inflation getting down to 2, two a little above 2 percent in 2024, with, with unemployment at 4.1 percent. So-and this is a strong labor market. This is a good labor market. Um, and, as I mentioned, there are pathways to do it. But those pathways have become much more challenging due to factors that are not under our control-again, Th- thinking here of the fallout from the war in Ukraine, which has brought a spike in, you know, prices of energy, food, fertilizer, industrial chemicals and also just the supply chains more broadly, which have been larger and or in longer lasting than anticipated. So the sentence that we deleted said that we believe that appropriate monetary policy effectively alone can bring about the result of 2 percent inflation with a strong labor market. And so much of it is really not down to monetary policy. It just didn't-it just-the the, the sentence isn't-it it kind of says on its face that monetary policy alone can do this. And that's-that's not-that just didn't seem appropriate, so we took the sentence out.
1: And-and given the new projections for the unemployment rate, could you talk a little bit about what accounts for, you know, such reduced conf- uh, confidence against, say, a month ago or three months ago that um, inflation will largely normalize on its own as these supply-side issues uh, get worked out? Thanks.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I-I th- I think you've seen-again, we've been expecting progress, and we didn't get that. We got-we got sort of the opposite. So I also think- the situation, really, since the, you know, the consequences of the Ukraine war become more and more uh, clear, what you're seeing is the situation getting, getting more difficult. And you look around the world. I mean, lots of countries are, lots of countries are looking at inflation of 10 percent, and it's largely due to commodities prices. But uh, all over the world, you're seeing um, these effects. And, so th- and we're seeing them here. Gas prices, you know, all-time highs and things like that. That's not, be, that's not something we can do something about. So um, that, that's, that is really-and, um, by the way, headline inflation-headline inflation is important for expectations. People-the public's expectations, why would they be distinguishing between core inflation and headline inflation? Core inflation is something we think about because it, it is a better predictor of future inflation. But headline inflation is what people experience. They don't know what core is. Why, why would they? They have no reason to. So that's-expectations are very much at risk due to high headline inflation. So it's become-the environment has become more difficult, clearly, in the last four or five months, and hence the need for the policy actions that we took today, hence our resolution to, uh, you know, to get uh, rates up and and ultimately get them to where we think they need to be um, in coming months.
0: All right. So that was a longer clip. That's the longest one that we have here. I just want to point out that, you know, he did talk a lot about the unemployment rate there and that they are need. Okay. So you can't have, they They don't think that you can have a stable uh, ec- uh, economic recovery if you have too low of unemployment, because the way that they look at it is low unemployment means that there's competition for wages and that will push wages up and, that will give people more money to spend and it'll be a feedback loop for inflation. Uh, so their goal here is to, uh, raise unemployment, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, and I don't think it will work, but that I'm just explaining what they, what they're saying. He also mentioned that, uh, they have to control the things that they actually have control over. They, you know, affect the demand side they can't control oil prices they can't control those other things uh, like sanctions over there in europe so and the last thing i will say here is he said that uh, we are we were expecting more progress and we didn't get that so to me that's like okay well you were wrong then you're going to be wrong again uh so what what's your what's your take there christian
3: Man, uh, well, I, I keep I, I keep tweeting and talking about this. You know, they're they're killing the golden goose they never knew they had. Um, you know, this uh, wealth effect that was going to their benefit, they're now killing that, and uh, now the world is seeing that we are in this massive cluster F, and there's nothing the Fed can do, it, as they admit, about it. Right. There's nothing they can do to fix the oil shortages. There's nothing they can do to fix the supply chain issues. There's nothing they can do to fix the state of the economy. All they can do is manipulate the plebs that are under their jurisdiction with tools that don't even work and end up actually making the situation worse. Um, But yet they have to, you know, straight face lie to you, the Bloomberg journalists face by saying that, hey, this mark this this is a healthy jobs, uh, jobs, market and economy, which everyone knows is not true because I'm driving down the road. I just drove across America and I keep seeing diners that have signs saying, you know, employees needed employees wanted all this work that is available. But guess what? No one who could actually, you know, afford to live on the wages that they're, you know, economically able to pay can even live within that jurisdiction. Uh, or it, 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 it. for whatever reason, it's easier just to get whatever social security or welfare or food stamps than it is to go out and make those very low wages. So um, I think right now, again, we are in an economic hurricane. I think that the Fed is continuing to make it worse. What they're doing, they admit, can't actually fix the the supply chain issues. And I think by inducing a, a recession, they're just going to put us in a worse situation. And they're also going to expose their inability to actually do anything.
0: Yeah. I don't have anything to add on that. Um, other than just to say, you know, they're he's playing semantic games and this is the first time that I watched Powell where I was like, man, he's not really being honest for the most part in this press conference. So, um, anyway, we, we have about 20 minutes left. We got to get through all of the guard stuff. So should we jump over to the ECB?
3: Well, I guess just real quick, do you want to play psychologist on Powell and just okay. talk through and just talk through like maybe like what you think is going through his head right now?
0: Well, they're confused. Uh, they, they really do believe that there is this reinforcing cycle with uh, unemployment. And they I mean, we went through this with Yellen and Bernanke before where they were really worried about our star, which was maximum employment or, you know, like the, the variable for maximum employment. And it never really worked. They were always behind the curve. It didn't, you know, they, like he, like Powell said here, they were expecting more progress. Uh, they were always uh, not getting it right and failing to predict where the economy was going to be just six or 12 months ahead. So um, th- this is just, they are unable to shift to a new idea. There has been no economic scholarship in the last 20 years of like real progress in economic scholarship. I think all of the economic scholarship has happened here in Bitcoin. And so it might take another five, 10 years, but eventually these central bankers are going to, you know, like Saifedean might become uh, real high up there in the academic literature for um, economics because he is making original content and really the the academics at the fed they they just haven't come out with anything new in a very long time so that that's my kind of take on it
3: so you think that this dip is catching is catching uh Drum in a tough spot you know i would think everyone's in a tough spot because of the dip he's really is he do you think he's in a tough spot
0: yeah i mean i think they don't know they, they are incapable of really affecting the market. All that they can do is maybe guide it to a soft landing. And so that's what I think they have been trying to do for the last six, six months or 12 months, really, since they started talking about being hawkish again. So I think they're just trying to maybe uh, raise rates at a fast enough pace so that they have room to cut again. You know, they're just trying to get ahead of the narrative and that's all they're doing and, Yep. For, yeah. So. All right. But let's move on. I don't but, want to take too uh, much time. Last, time.
3: Yeah. I know, I know we're tight on time. Yeah.
4: High inflation is a major challenge for all of us. The governing council will make sure that inflation returns to our 2% target over the medium term. In May, inflation again rose significantly mainly because of surging energy and food prices, including due to the impact of the war. But inflation pressures have broadened and intensified, with prices for many goods and services increasingly strongly. Eurosystem staff have revised their baseline inflation projections up significantly. These projections indicate that inflation will remain undesirably elevated for some time however moderating energy costs the easing of supply disruptions related to the pandemic and the normalization of monetary policy are expected to lead to a decline in inflation
0: okay so here she didn't i don't think she said too much substantial i just wanted to have this opening clip because her kind of cadence and her delivery is so much different than powell's uh, and a lot of people might not have ever watched Christine Lagarde talk about monetary policy. So I wanted to give this kind of opening clip and any reaction right off the bat here, Christian. Uh,
3: no, I mean, uh, pretty classic. And it's, it's interesting to have to completely 180 uh, from, you know, less than a year ago when she was saying inflation is transit's not an issue. We have it under control. Um, it's like one punch in the mouth and uh, it's 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 rampant. And I mean, when they're talking about, you know, it, it's, I find it, it's crazy because they're talking about they need to bring inflation down with monetary policy, but they also know, and we can refer back to Powell, that they can't actually do something about supply chain issues. So to me, it's crazy that they're calling this inflation. They should just call this supply, you know, price increases due to supply chain breakdowns. And not think that they could actually fix that with monetary policy. Because all they're doing is they're actually adding a more chaotic element to the, to the mix. And that's not helping. This is like the key point that we're trying to drill down. And I'll just get off my, my rant already. I'll keep it short. But like it, yeah. the, the, the inconsistency remains.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they, they blame the war. But the war really doesn't stop oil from flowing, right? It's the actual sanctions that they're putting on. So they're, they're once again they're uh, diverting attention away from the left hand so that you don't see what the right hand is doing. Um, same thing with hey, this is calling it inflation when it's not, and s- blaming Russia when they should blame themselves because they are doing the one the ones doing the sanctioning. So, um, but what choice they
3: have, right? They're not willing to fight. We don't we don't have to talk about this. I just wanted to throw well, that wrench in there.
0: <laughs> well, I I heard something interesting uh, just. I can't remember who said it, but it was somebody that, uh, that I just watched a podcast on YouTube from this morning and they called it a um, economic blitzkrieg. And I thought that was a really good way to put it, that they are trying to do war through economics and really crush. They tried to crush the Russian economy with this economic blitzkrieg, but it didn't work. So now we're kind of seeing what the fallout is from that. Um, But anyway, let's move on to the next, let's move on to the next clip.
4: Throughout this process, the governing council will maintain optionality, data dependence, gradualism and flexibility in the conduct of monetary policy. First, we decided to end net asset purchases under our asset purchase program as of July 1st, 2022. The Governing Council intends to continue reinvesting in full the principal payments from maturing securities purchased under the APP for an extended period of time past the date when it starts raising the key ECB interest rates, and in any case, for as long as necessary, to maintain ample liquidity conditions and an appropriate monetary policy stance. Second we undertook a careful review of the conditions which, according to our forward guidance, should be satisfied before we start raising the key ECB interest rates. As a result of this assessment, the Governing Council concluded that those conditions have been satisfied. Accordingly, and in line with our policy sequencing, we intend to raise the key ECB interest rates by 25 basis points at our July Monetary Policy Meeting. Looking further ahead, we expect to raise the key ECB interest rates again in September. The calibration of this rate increase will depend on the updated medium-term inflation outlook. If the medium-term inflation outlook persists or deteriorates, a larger increment will be appropriate at our September meeting. Third, beyond September, based on our current assessment, we anticipate that a gradual but sustained path of further increases in interest rates will be appropriate. In line with our commitment to our 2% medium-term target, the pace at which we adjust our monetary policy will depend on the incoming data and how we assess inflation to develop in the medium term. Within the governing council's mandate, under stressed conditions, flexibility will remain an element of monetary policy whenever threats to monetary policy transmission jeopardize the attainment of price stability.
0: All right. Well. Um... I just had to put this in here. I mean, I wonder why they do it in English. You know, like it's obviously now in the EU without England in the EU or Great Britain, like it's English is everyone's second language. And so like they have, they're given these big monetary policy uh, speeches and where they're supposed to convey this very important thing in like everyone's second language. I don't know that I just got that from her cadence and from her, you know, she's just being very slow. <laughs> Did you notice that Christian?
3: Well, I mean, I think that watching English as a language, it's dominance insert itself is a good framework to kind of understand how uh, a Bitcoin standard is going to really assert itself over time. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately it's, like it's the cons- the constant, and that's why it becomes the standard. Um, and you know, even if it's not the preference for everyone, they want their their uh, CBDC bucks or whatever. You know, we'll get to a world where everyone will at least you know trust Bitcoin enough to to accept it, uh, and 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 that's how the standard forms. So I um, just wanted to make that connection. And in terms of like what she's talking about, I feel like it's kind of interesting watching her follow the Fed. Right? She's effectively. Mm-hmm two quarters behind the Fed um, in terms of, you know, these actions to quell inflation. And I'm interested to see if she's almost being bullied into this behavior when she she was effectively saying, no, full, full steam ahead, you know, not very long ago. And the Fed was actually changing its, its direction to deal with inflation.
0: Yeah, great observations. Um, she's actually asked that question by the very first uh, question in the Q&A.
3: Shows how not smart I am or observant. It's just the most <laughs> obvious thing.
0: She's asked that question uh, if she's just following the Fed. And should we think of it like that? they're just taking the lead of the Fed? And, of course, she says, no, don't think that way. But it totally comes across as, yeah, they're just two quarters behind. She, so. she
3: went would so hard. And, like, she was literally giving the complete opposite opinion when Powell started, you know, kind of changing his direction.
0: Yeah. Another thing I pulled out um, – of this press conference so that we didn't have a chance to show uh, because we only had six clips here, but uh, they talk about the Fit for 55 and the Repower EU programs. And I'm not familiar with these, but I'm assuming they're climate programs, like um, some sort of ESG type programs. And what she said specifically was that they're going to make the EU more resilient to global shocks. And I don't think anyone else Probably picked up on this, but you know I call the, the the ECB here Lagarde the Davos crowd. They're the globalists over there, and so they really like globalization, right? And they they want globalization to continue. They want to be in charge of this globalized, rule based order, and so they really hate deglobalization or any talk of deglobalization. But right here, when she says that these things are going to make EU the EU more resilient to global shocks to me that's almost like letting the mask slip a little bit and show that yeah they are they're almost ready to accept that deglobalization is going to happen and they are I don't know it, it just seemed like a very big moment to me because I think of this global uh, globalization versus deglobalization all the time and this struck me as very like in line with deglobalization. Um, well, again, a,
3: it's a complete 180. And just two quarters yeah. ago, she was talking about globalization, yep. more globalization, and you mm-hmm. were effectively laughing at her. I do remember that. Again, yep. listeners, you can go back. We talked about it.
0: Yeah, something else um, she said here that sounding exactly like Powell, again, like you said, is, quote, if, we, if demand were to weaken in the mit- medium term, It would lower pressure on prices. So how do you weaken demand? Well, you crush demand by crushing uh, people, crushing consumers, crushing the economy. So it sounds just like the Fed. All right, let's get on to the last clip of the day. This is working out pretty good timing. So uh, this is a short one. And so I wanted to set this up. Yeah, I wanted to set it up real quick is that it's about fragmentation. Uh, She talked about that very briefly in the very first clip that we played. Um, But that is the idea that credit spreads from, you know, the pigs, the Portugal, Spain, Italy, Greece, that these uh, uh, credit spreads will affect these more indebted nations a lot more as the ECB is raising rates, right? And there's this um, worry about fragmentation within the Eurozone. So she pounds multiple times saying, we are committed to anti-fragmentation. We have different tools. We're going to use all of our tools, but, you know, she d- never really uh, breaks down what she means by that. But anyways, we've so, been
3: talking about the breakup of Europe for a long time on this show too.
0: Yes. Yes. And the coming European debt crisis 2.0, this is kind of what we're, we're talking about here, but, um, the, so the, um, this question that we're going to play, she just is getting frustrated because people keep asking her about this fragmentation. So let's roll the clip.
4: On the conditions that would trigger um the anti-fragmentation let's be clear <laughs> it the, the 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 critical point is monetary policy transmission and we are very attentive to make sure that it transmits throughout the entire euro area so there is no uh specific level of yields increase or lending rates or bond spreads that can unconditionally trigger this or that. Uh, The principle is that we will not tolerate fragmentation that would impair monetary policy transmission and we will determine on the basis of circumstances of countries how and when that risk uh, is likely to materialize and we will prevent it.
0: We will prevent it. We will not tolerate it, but we're not going to tell you exactly how, but we will not let it happen. So what's your reaction, Christian?
3: Yeah, just like they can't prevent oil prices from going up, they can't prevent that, but they can, uh, they can create a recession and make the plebs hurt in the meantime.
0: Yeah, um, I have a article here that I wanted to read through, so um, it's because a couple days after this press conference, because this is like almost two weeks ago now, that the uh, that Lagarde spoke, and the market did not like it. This anti-fragmentation stuff really kind of uh, hit some bad notes in in the broader economy. So she, they, the ECB came out and tried to fix it right afterwards. And so I wanted to read this article. This one is from Reuters, and the headline is ECB pledges new crisis tool to help indebted southern states. The European Central Bank promised fresh support for the bloc's indebted southern rim on Wednesday, tempering a market route that threatened a repeat of the debt crisis that almost brought down the single currency a decade ago. Government borrowing costs have soared in the 19-country currency bloc's periphery since the ECB's ECB unveiled plans last Thursday to raise interest rates to tame painfully high inflation But the bank failed to reassure investors it would contain the rise in borrowing costs, making only a vague pledge and stoking fears it was abandoning more indebted nations, such as Italy, Spain, and Greece, which have struggled for years under the weight of massive debt piles. Reversing course just six days later, the ECB said it would direct cash to more indebted nations from debt maturing, in a recently ended 1.7 trillion euro pandemic support scheme and it would work on a new instrument to prevent an excessive divergence in borrowing costs. Quote, the governing council decided to mandate the relevant Eurosystem committees together with the ECB services to accelerate, to accelerate the completion of the design of a new anti-fragmentation instrument for consideration by the governing council, the ECB said after an extraordinary meeting. But the ECB chief, Christine Lagarde, also tried to temper expectations, arguing that the ECB's job is taming inflation, not helping budgets. Quote, we cannot surrender to fiscal dominance, Lagarde said at a forum in London. Neither can we surrender to finance dominance. We have to deliver on our mandate, end quote. So that's the what's happened since this meeting. And I think it's very interesting. It's going right down step-by-step step, down this uh, European debt crisis 2.0. And we called it way back a year well, and a half ago.
3: Yeah, no, I, I don't want to stick long on this, but like think about this idea of both being adaptive, but not being able to adapt to like effectively having a mandate first and not a people first policy. You know, like it's a tough place to be. You both have to be, you both control, control, you don't actually control, but you control by responsibility and by, you know, what people uh, believe you control um, by name. You control, you know, what is going to happen. And at the same time, your mandate is not necessarily going to be people first. It's just a tough place to be. And again, like, this is why humanity needs something that isn't controlled or can be controlled or... Try strives to manipulate. Like this is why we urgently have to get away from this baloney. And This is why I'm so appreciative of Ansel for doing this amazing research and uncovering a lot of you know the dialogue. You know people don't listen to um, that they need to, so they understand the intention behind central banking and why it's not a good thing.
0: Absolutely, I will make everything available for the um, listeners and viewers in the show notes. So uh, check out the FedWatch, um, YouTube, or sorry, the Watch podcast feed, and uh, I will be tweeting it out. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Um, I also do a companion post that comes out hopefully within a few days of the podcast over on Bitcoin Magazine. But anyway, we will get make sure we get you a link to see the charts and to watch these videos if you are an audio listener. So that's all I have today, Christian.
3: Yeah, we got some good shows teed up. I'm really hyped for them. And uh, yeah, I'm hyped to be in the Nashville studio. I'm loving what is going on with Q&P. Y'all can follow me at ck underscore snarks and back to the hosts.
0: Ansel, I want to give you one last opportunity. Bitcoin and markets was excellent last week as always, man. If if you're not subscribed to his newsletter, the newsletter in particular, you really should. Forgot to plug that. Thanks, Q. Um, yeah, bitcoinandmarkets.com is my website. I do a free weekly newsletter there. Uh, just brand new revamped with a new theme, a new look over there at uh, bitcoinandmarkets.com. So check that out. And also, um, I just started a Telegram channel. So you can find a link to that on the website as well. Um, hopefully, we can get that gro- growing and get some good conversation going. We'll have to link that here too. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to do my obligatory shills now, but ticket prices for Bitcoin 2023 are going up on next Friday. Guys,
1: subscribe, follow the three of us. Friends, this has been an incredible episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. As Q said, follow him, follow me, follow Bitcoin Magazine on Twitter for more exciting updates every day here where you normally expect it on all your favorite platforms. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace.